Welcome to On the Bench. I got Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone here with me. I am Josh Newberg. As always, we are the crew from Knowles 24-7. Mine is Zach, because he's in class. Um, but the weekend is over and we are back to work. My guys are back in Tallahassee. They've had time to rewatch the game and we are going to pot about it. Brendan, good to see you. Thanks. It's great to be here, Joshua. RIP the tank. It was a good run. <laughs> yeah, it was a good run. Chris, how are you doing? Fantastic, man. Happy November. Okay. Thank you. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna dig in a little more on FSU's 30 to 20 heartbreaking loss to Clemson. It's still heartbreaking, um, no matter how many times you rewatch it. But let's start it off with you, Brendan. Um, you just literally just re rewatched it. Just finished it. I mean, I feel, you know, not a whole lot different than watching the game live. You just wipe the tear from your eye. It's more just the the sleep deprivation I'm trying to wipe from my face and, and travel it a long ways. I haven't been on a road trip this year, so I'm not, I was rusty just the driving and whatnot, but no, man, the, the game was what it was. I mean, FSU had its chances, obviously. I know we're going to get into the penalties at the end of the game. I, I think in hindsight, those were, especially the pass interference on Kevin knows. I thought that was a bad call at live time uh, watching it again closer. Yeah. Bad, bad call there. Tough break for FSU, but you had your chances to put the game away. Couldn't, uh, the, what really stood out, man, is, is that the trench play, especially the, well, not especially, only the offensive line versus Clemson's defensive line. Uh, FSU was whipped up front, and, you know, people are going to talk about FSU should have done this schematically. Jordan Travis should have done this. The wide receivers didn't get open. All those things, you know, th there are things to pick apart, but if you can't block it up consistently, and if a team is able to get pressure on you with three consistently, man, there's just not a whole lot you can do. That was a concern I had when I started watching pregame warmups that FSU's offensive line was going to be outmanned, and, and that um, that came to fruition, and I think really really is what ultimately is the biggest difference in the game on, on Saturday. Chris? Yes? You wrote a little bit about um, FSU being outmanned, and you know it kind of – it's the need that Florida State – has to nail this 2022 class um mm -hmm. they have those kind of different makers difference makers at the top in a travis hunter in a sam mccall hopefully in an aj duffy as well um but right now there's a talent gap that exists between fsu and clemson how, i mean how does fsu overcome that the trenches first and foremost it comes down to the trenches i mean every time alex atkins gets a big body on campus he talks about how he needs bigger stronger guys more physical guys and FSU tried to bulk up a little bit through the portal, but it only brings you so much returns, and certainly they don't have the depth to handle the situation they're dealing with up there. Dylan Gibbons, Devontae Love-Taylor, extremely banged-up guys who they gutted through that one Saturday, but they didn't play well. That's not me trying to be down on two guys. It just didn't play well. They got to take him to them consistently. Marie Smith struggled. He's an undersized center. FSU has to get bigger, deeper, stronger, faster, more physical, all of those things up front on the offensive line. And that's only going to happen over time. And that's not usually a very quick fix. That's a multiple year type of situation where it comes down to recruiting and doing it consistently while also developing, while also keeping them healthy and keeping them on the roster. Yeah. And then on the defensive line, it's going to be important for FSU to replace what they're losing. Biggest play of that game from FSU came from a defensive end who will be in the NFL in a few short months. And he's damn good and he's been fantastic. But he's been a one-year guy for FSU. They're going to need to find out who their next guy is. Derek McClendon and Quayshawn Fuller have improved, but they're not that guy. They got to find guys like that guy. 
and they have to find a lot of them, and they have to find them at all positions. But if you're not good in the trenches, you're not going to win. Trenches and quarterback. You got those, you got a good chance of winning a lot of ball, ball games. And you got to be deep there because we saw on both sides, like you said, Florida State didn't feel confident to take a – what do you think Devontae Love-Taylor and Dylan Gibbons were playing at? 60%? Is that being generous? Mm, that's generous, Josh. Yeah, Devontae Love-Taylor, and I'm not trying to knock the kid. He struggles to truly jog down the field for the next play. Like, he just is not moving well. And he hasn't at any point this year. He's not in particularly good but shape. It, I don't think he recovered well from that. That injury. is a good example of the lack of depth that Florida State yeah. has. Yeah, because yeah, next man up would have options. been Davion Johnson and Brady Scott, and they're serviceable, but they're not better. And when those two guys are doing well for you, you can usually run the ball. FSU has been good, a good running team because of Dylan Gibbons and Devontae Love-Taylor in many ways. So they stuck with what they had, what had worked. It didn't work Saturday because they got whooped at the point of attack. Sort of is what it is, disappointingly. And, and also on the defensive side of the football as well. I mean, Fabian Lovett is a stud, but he played after well. He, he did play well. But you know, we've been talking about how we're midway through the season and Florida State, they they gotta kind of feather how much they use some of these guys. They just can't put the pedal to the metal and have Lovett out there all the time. We've talked about him nursing injuries and, and they want to save him for the for the season. Uh we saw a little bit of Malcolm Ray. Uh Brandon, what did you see from some of the replacements on the defensive line? Some of the second and third stringers I, I do think that FSU legitimately got solid production from its reserves. Uh, Quayshon Fuller and Derek McClendon both had big plays in that game, graded out above average per PFF, and and that reflected itself on the rewatch, too. Those guys showed up well, and that's going to be huge. You need those guys to come in to spell Jermaine Johnson. The fact that that play that Chris referenced that Jermaine Johnson made that strip sack, he wasn't on the field before that third down play. You, I think you had Quayshon Fuller in there, so you're able to give – uh, your your best player, a few reps there and some breathers for him to come in fresh and make a big play. Inside, you know, I, Jarrett Jackson showed well. He continues to to sh- make some strides and at least shows that athleticism. I think you need to be consistent and you need to be on the field and be healthy more often. But uh, there's something there to kind of help spell the... Uh, he's been a pleasant surprise. Not cer- much certainly. expected of him, but... He's moved in the right direction. Malcolm Ray makes a big play. He has a sack. Uh, he also had a nice tackle for loss. Did some really nice things on some stunting there. Uh, but also, yeah, to me, he's a guy, especially early on in that first half when Clemson was having success with some of its, its read option and some of the midline read stuff, uh, Malcolm Ray struggled to get uh, to play in space or to play when he was isolated. And that's just a matter of like, that's a redshirt freshman, I guess, a third year player who's probably playing more than you expected him to at the beginning of the season. You know, Dennis Briggs makes those plays, the long 63 yard run that Clemson had. Malcolm Ray isn't able to quite scrape over to the top and make the play, misses the tackle. I think he was on one of the midline runs. Uh, he was the guy that was optioned inside, and that was a 20-yard gain that that Will Shipley had that was on Clemson's scoring drive. Those are plays that I think Dennis Briggs makes, and it's not a knock on Malcolm Ray. That's just a matter of him playing 20 snaps in a game when he probably should be playing 10 right now, and, and he's able to get isolated, and, and Clemson takes advantage of that to build a lead in the first half. Moffa's 63-yard run is kind of a perfect example of how FSU's defense can fail at every level. Correct me if I'm wrong on this note. First level, Malcolm Ray misses him as he hits a hole. Deloach gets kind of walled out on the opposite side, allowing for the huge hole. When he runs through the line of scrimmage, it's probably about 12 to 15 yards before there's another body truly around him in the picture as he's hitting the line of scrimmage. So he's got a whole lot of room to run, get ahead of steam. McClellan has a chance about what roughly 15 to 20 down the field. Sounds right. Misses it. He sheds that. 
you know, you go from having a chance at the line of scrimmage to a chance of just allowing sort of a chunk play of no 15, 20 yards to mm-hmm. 63 sets of a touchdown. When that happens, FSU falters. And FSU has been much better in recent weeks of not allowing that to happen a lot and certainly not allowing it to compound. And they truthfully were pretty good at that on Saturday. They allowed some passing plays, some one-on-ones where they were beat. But Justin Ross is a good player. You can live with that. Davis Allen's touchdown is a guy simply beating another guy, basically mossing him, going over him like Jordan, taking it away. You know, Travis Jay has to do a better job there. Play through the arms, play the ball better. He didn't. You know, but the defense has taken made strides. I think we've been pretty clear about that over the last month. I think we were talking about that on the follow-up podcast after we left Clemson. But, you know, the Moffa run to me is sort of the definition of when it falters, especially when it's a reserve D lineman, reserve safety, starting linebacker. Kind of speaks to that your depth doesn't always come through for you. And you're missing a guy like Dennis Briggs. Yeah. And I mean the the defense you know, we're being a little critical of them in this moment. I mean, they played really well in moments on Saturday, uh, especially the second half. Now, Clemson yeah. helps – what did they miss? Three out of four field goals. It's windy, too. I mean, so that's part of it. Dabo's fourth down math may not have been great. I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers here. Clemson's uh, yard per uh, per play average going into the game was 4.96. FSU gave up 5.03, so a little worse there. Success rate, 5.32% uh, percent, uh, going into the game, 5.34 for the game, so pretty much on par, a little bit of worse there. Yards per drive, 1.65 for Clemson going into the game, 1.71 in this game. So, again, a little bit of worse there. But the trade-off was that FSU was super aggressive. They blitzed on 41% of Clemson's dropbacks. Think about that. They blitzed almost half the time. FSU FSU averages about 20% blitz rate. So they went aggressive. That was part of the game plan was to try to force Clemson into turnovers that worked. FSU forced, what, three in the second half? Uh, the yeah, Jamie you have Robinson the Jamie shirt. Robinson ripping it away. Great you have play. the yeah, very very good play. Mark Gainer recovered that one. You have the uh, interception by, uh, by Cooper, by yeah King Cooper, and uh, what's Duke, our third one? Duke here? Duke Cooper. Wrong title. Yeah, um, sorry. I was trying to anoint him even higher. I'm sorry. Lord Cooper the Third. And uh, what was the third one here? Where, oh, uh, that Jermaine Johnson one, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, the that's, big right, play. that's right. Yeah. We already referenced it. <laughs> so so my point is, I don't. If people are telling you that that the defense played poorly, I disagree with that. I think the defense played well, well and they played well with what they were what they wanted to do, which is they were going to give up some stuff, but they were going to be super aggressive and they gave the offense a chance. We get more into the offense, but that's a big part people, of this game. People are taking liberties with the they almost gave up 40. If he makes those three field goals, they give up 39 points. Okay. So let's split the difference. He makes two of those three field goals at six points. That last play of the game doesn't happen if he makes those two field goals. So they don't get those six points. They score 30. You know, we can play point play all day and have a little fun with that of FSU only gave up 24 or they gave up 30 or they could have gave up 39. Yeah, you can have fun with that. There's a hell of a lot of range. But some people are taking liberties with that with the defense almost gave up 40 points. No, the defense was in position to give up 30 to 33 points is the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the personnel used, especially in the secondary um you know due to injuries due to play but what is looking like the best combination on fsu's back end of that secondary go ahead chris well, brownlee on one side brownlee's played really good ball lately jones on the other had a bad pi in this game but in general has been better uh, kevin Knowles is your slot nickel man he's been very good the pi on him is a crappy call in this game bull crap call bull crap uh your safety spots, Romson's very much settled one of those down. Mm-hmm. The other one's a little bit more of a 
a rotational position at this point, a little bit more of a platoon. We've seen a good bit of Dent, McClellan. Who else have we seen in there? That Some of that's been because of injury. Some of that's been because of play. It's been Akeem Dent mostly at the buck the last two games, and that's not what they designed him to play earlier in the year. He was going to be more of a field safety. Uh, and, and Akeem played well at times. He made some really big stops, actually, in space. He also had some missed tackles in space. I think PFF had him with four missed tackles. That's kind of Akeem Dent at this point, is you're going to get good and bad and a little erratic play. But the effort was there, which was nice to see. Uh, also at Buck, uh, we Brendan Gantz kind of gotten phased out there. He only played on special teams this past week. I don't think he's been 100%. Uh, Cindy Williams did not travel with the team. As yeah. Someone that practiced earlier in the week, thought he was going to be able to go, wasn't able to. That's someone who runs stopping and, and being a big physical presence that you miss in, in terms of, of being a, a in-the-box stop uh, defender there at, at safety. Uh, the big part of the rotation that I want to get into, other than what Chris mentioned there, Travis Jay essentially gets benched, guys. He gives up that touchdown in the uh, in the first half. That's the only drive he's in on by by my count. Now he plays on special teams throughout the rest of the game, but he only gets four snaps on defense. I think it all came on that series. Just, I mean, you allow cross field fade pattern to a tight end where you're in decent position. You just don't play the ball particularly well. That's just happened consistently with Travis Jay. I, I would contend that's probably he's been the most disappointing player this season. I don't think he's been 100%, but just based on what we saw in the preseason and, and the, the way he was practicing with confidence and physicality, um, it's just been tough to see that the athleticism not translate over to production on, on the field, and FSU doesn't seem like they can trust him right now. Travis Jay and Jarvis Brownlee feel like a road that split two ways, and they took very different paths on the year. Yes, sure, sure, yeah. And who's to say that, you know, Travis J can't turn it around in the future right. the same way that right. Brownlee did? To, to answer your original question, Berg, I would say the initial guys we said, and then in that safety spot with Dent, the buck, I would say it's Sidney Williams when he's healthy. is the right. guy that they want there as their one. Yeah. And what's, up Miko, what's up with Miko Dotson? He's dealing Still with injured? a – yeah, and he practiced more this week, but we didn't see him on the sideline uh, during the game. And believed, yeah. Chris, he was, he was supposed to have traveled with the team, right? Yeah, he was on the travel roster based on me asking somebody about said travel roster. I did not ever see him. Uh, same with Green McKnight, never saw him. Um, and he was also supposed to be on the travel roster, and he's a two-deep guy. With Dotson, he's just been banged up consistently. He Both of the years he's been here, he's really not been very healthy. And I don't think he's been able to put together two good weeks of practice in a row in a really long time. Yeah, since maybe the, the beginning of the season. Um, Andrew asks, Norvell should, or says Norvell should try Jay on offense. So I keep seeing this from the fan base, that they want to try Jay on offense. Have you watched him try to play the football in the air? Like he can't do it as a cornerback. It just And right now, again, I don't, want to, I don't want to take shots at the kid. I don't think he's 100%. And that's one thing with us having availability at practice and being able to see how much guys practice or – the general fan base, and I think general public in general, like doesn't know. I'm going to say general one more time. Uh, general Amarian Cooper as well doesn't understand if you're not King. 100%. If you're King Duke Cooper, if you're not 100%, man, it's it impacts your play, it impacts your health mentally, uh, that you're not feeling confident in certain ways. So, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be too negative on Travis J, but at this point, I, I don't think he's someone that you can trust for and whatever reason. Also, in big, big moments. We're looking for answers at wide receiver. Like, we're not looking for new experiments and projects. I feel like Florida State kind of has a, a room full of guys that may or may not belong there. And then you're just adding another one to the room that has to learn the position with no real leaders. Like, I, I just, I don't know if that's the answer for Travis Ooh. J, but. 
regardless, um, we're probably going to see less of him on the field moving forward. I want to talk a little bit about offense now. Let's switch it to the offensive side of the ball. Let's move Travis Jay to the offensive side of the ball while we're at it. <laughs> Speaking of moving to the offensive side of the ball, uh, Brendan, first to you, why did FSU go empty so much on offense in this game? I think it was for the simple, and I would like to ask Kenny Dillingham about this today during the press conference, but I think it was basically when they went empty, Clemson went with just three down uh, defensive linemen and pushed the linebackers and safeties back. So they stopped peppering the gaps and stopped being aggressive uh, blitzing. And it was three on five, which that's another issue is Clemson got a lot of pressure with three on five, especially the interior of the offensive line really, really struggled in that, but it eliminated eye traffic for Jordan Travis. It allowed him to kind of scan the field and, and read what the defense was doing without just this inordinate amount of pressure from extra blitzers coming in stunts to give you a chance. FSU couldn't run the football. I think that's what it comes down to is FSU really struggled. Uh, If Chris wants to talk about this, I'll look real quick and see if I could find, I'm struggling to get all my metrics and stuff in order for this show, but uh, FSU's yards, yards per carry before contact had been so good the last three weeks. Clemson's defensive line is really good, uh, and they showed it. And also, FSU had injuries up front. We mentioned, I mean, Devontae Love Taylor, Dylan Gibbons not being 100%. That's a toughie. Uh, losing Cam McDonald in somewhere early in the second half. I'm not sure what happened, uh, but you have to go with Preston Daniel and give him extensive reps because that two tight end set out of the double, uh, the double wing out of the pistol was a big part of your game plan. You see times where, where Preston's just not able to, to athletically get down there and block Clemson. And, and that's basically what this amounts to is. You couldn't block them, and when you can't block them, good luck. I took the empty to mean they were trying to basically do a hat count, that they were going to see how they were going to cover the five guys wide, spread out, figure out who was kind of sort of spying Jordan at the second level, whether it was safety, corner, linebacker, and then see if they could do anything against the pressure. But at the end of the day, the pressure up front killed them. They gave up six sacks at Clemson, which was a season high for the Tigers. They hadn't had that many since the ACC championship game last year against Notre Dame. They had had four and two games this year, but nothing more than that. So, no, it just lost at the point of attack. It's good old-fashioned recent FSU run of the O-line got their butt whooped, and you're kind of DOA because of that. That's why 11 of 13 offensive drives didn't really amount to much of anything for the Seminoles. Here here you go, guys. You ready? Mm -hmm. There were 102 teams that played football this weekend. FSU was 102nd in yards before contact per carry negative 0.25 so fsu averaged getting hit in the backfield think about that you're you, chris said doa that's what fsu was on saturday and so this is for the fans who like hey we should put in chubba purdy or mckenzie milton hey why aren't we running the football more why are we trying to run inside uh why are we going five <laughs> six? when you cannot <laughs> When you cannot run the football or you cannot get any sort of semblance of a crease of uh, of daylight on uh, per average, like if you can't get to the line of scrimmage, you're not going to have success no matter who what your personnel is, no matter no matter what you're trying to do schematically. This goes back to what we said at the very beginning of the podcast. You have to get better in the trenches. You have to get more depth. You have to get more athletes outside to take advantage of things when you do get creases. But uh, just Clemson whips you at the point of attack and – that's again, that's what the game comes down to trenches. Everything else is secondary. So FSU's second drive, first touchdown drive, 10 play 75 yards, best drive of the day without a shadow of a doubt. Obviously they hit the play to toe Philly. He keeps his feet, goes 75. That's two drives later. After that, FSU's best drives 
five for 24 yards, ended on downs. That was to open the second half, I believe. Next one, eight for 25, punted away. Four for 24 came later in the game. That, I believe, was in the fourth quarter, if I recall correctly. May have been very end of third quarter. Punted away. Drives after that for FSU. Three for one yards. Five for negative nine. And FSU punts because they're against their goal line. People, There was some clamoring after the game about why is FSU punting with so little time oh, on fourth I, and 32. I was because down they on, can't convert for 33 yards. I was, I was down on the field for There's that. There's a better chance of punting it and having yeah. them drop the punt in FSU recovering than converting fourth and 32. They, they played That's that, why they punt. They played that well to give themselves a chance. Now – allowing the ball to bounce 15 yards and then uh yeah you know, Trey Sean Ward screwed up his job as a punter returner. And and I went back and counted. I mean they're you're talking about 40 to 50 yards of a field position that you lost for letting the ball bounce and, and roll uh throughout the game. And you know 50 yards in a one score game. Uh well I guess technically a two score game but you know backdoor covers and whatnot. Um still a game that you were within punchy distance in the final minutes. 50 yards makes a difference. I mean that's yeah, that's a that's another error area where you have to get better. As Josh Newberg would say, special teams, WTF. <laughs> that's all I could think about. Um, <laughs> talk about reliving a scary situation. Let's relive those penalties in the fourth quarter. Um, we've kind of felt like FSU might be past shooting themselves in the foot, but the fourth quarter reared its ugly head. How much of that was on Florida State? How much of that was just, you know, unlucky calls going against them? Well, let, let's go. So, I mean, on offense, you have Darius Washington with the false start. Uh, that's just Darius has been known to do that. He's he played well. I think he gave up his first sack of the season uh, on Saturday, but actually graded out really well and had a solid game. Uh, but those false starts, you know, also in the third quarter as well with the two veteran offensive linemen. Um, so that happened. That on, was surprising. On the, yep. Uh, the Jermaine I think John. Some that, some of the O line issue, though, is just you've been whooped. Like you've been yeah. beaten. You are physically and mentally exhausted. Physically, yeah. And you've gotten it handed down. to you. And you start, your body starts leaning. You're trying to cheat for half a second to try to win a rep. Mm -hmm. It happens. Yeah. And Darius is specifically like Clemson shifts pre, pre play and he jumped because he, you know, again, you're trying to get the jump on someone and you think they're going. And that's just concentration and, and just needs to be better. But, uh, yeah, that, that certainly happens on offense. So defense, let, let's talk about – so the Jermaine Johnson penalty after the touchdown throws the ball up in the air. Listen, that letter of the law, like you can't do that, that's a stupid like penalty that, to exist. Like, it, So what if the guy throws the ball in the air? As long as he's not chucking it at someone else. Like really, like what are we doing here? You can celebrate. But I honestly, as soon as he chucked it up there, I knew it was a penalty. Yeah, I know. No, it's and I knew. I oh, listen. As soon as he ran in for a touchdown, I knew somehow, some way, they were gonna get a penalty for excessive celebration. Like whether it came in the back of the end zone on the sideline, but right then when he threw the ball, I was like, "Oh, that's a flag." I knew it. Come on. And so but that ends up making a it's difference. a matter of knowing where you're playing and who you're playing. Right. Is why you're getting that penalty. Yeah. He does yeah. that in Tallahassee. I don't know if he gets that penalty. No, yeah, like like Jarvis Brownlee for the pick six against UMass the week before was able to dance and, and excessively afterwards, True. and the referee's laughing at it. Don't it's, hate on a man's dancing. I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying, like, it's just it's I'll, not. Consistent. I'll set the king out to get you. Um, or you know, Duke. I think there was a moment against General UMass or UNC when they were celebrating, and I even remember like Mike Norvell running into the end zone, and I thought they were going to get a flag, and they did not. Um, so yeah, but I kind of knew it was coming. But you're right, maybe because I knew. 
who FSU was playing and, and, and all that, but it just, it's just a, it's a silly rule, but it is what it is. I mean, you know, so, but let's get into the ones on that, on that final go ahead drive by Clemson that, that really matter. Um, it starts off with, and the drive starts off with the Kevin Knowles pass interference call. I didn't like it at the time. Norvell definitely didn't like it. Went back rewatching it. I mean, the only thing, and they said this on the, on the broadcast. And I love that the FSU fan base absolutely abhors uh, Robert Griffin as a play, <laughs> uh, as an analyst. But then when he agrees that that should have been a, should not have been a penalty. They're like, even, even Robert Griffin said that it should have been, but, He's you know. Heisman <laughs> uh, but I think he was, I think what he said was correct. I agreed with it. It was basically, you know, you're in stride, you're playing the ball. Well, it's not face guarding in college football. The only thing you have to do is like turn the, your head around and they don't call it at all. But Kevin he plays had it, it timed up so perfectly. perfectly. He, didn't, he didn't need and, and again I'll say if he goes to turn his head around, maybe he slide, you know, maybe he goes off course and that's a catch. I just I think it was a perfect play by him. Yeah. Too perfect. It, it was that's a good way to put it. Um no, it was FSU teaches that to play through that when you see a wide receiver start putting their hands up, you start making it. And he timed it up, like you said, Josh, perfectly. Uh it's unfortunate that that was called. It, that was mm-hmm. that was bull crap. That was that was Bush League for the officials to call that. Uh, then uh, two plays later, DJ Lundy gets pegged for hitting uh, Ugale Ugalele. Oh, damn it, I worked on it too. Um, <laughs> but I think it's better than what we did last week. So we're, he hit number five, running out of bounds. But listen, he starts to make contact with him before he's out of bounds, but it follows through. You know, that's a, I think that's a penalty. It 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 was an unfortunate one, and I can't. I'm not going to sit here and blame Lundy too much. Yeah, same here. But he was giving himself up to go out of bounds. That's the only thing I would say about it. Um, but the it's photo all real bad. The still photo that's second. going around on Twitter looks real bad. Oh it's yeah, it's all happening in a split second. That that's what. Yeah. Like I, I'm I'm not complaining about that call. They're going to call that most times. They protect quarterbacks. It's what they do at all levels of football. Do they call it if it's the running back? No, hell no, probably Correct. not. I don't Probably. think so either. No, Lawrence Toffili gets hit in a very similar fashion in the first quarter going out of bounds. And again, he, the contact starts as he's going out of bounds and he stays up and they don't call it. And part of it is uh, Uka, 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 damn it. He went out on the Clemson sideline. Clemson that helped sideline clamoring. And, and he it, sold sure. it and threw his hands up he to me. He, yeah. he sold it. But like, you know, it was Brendan Gant against. He, sold the sh- he did. Sold, he sold it. it. Sold it. It was against. Awake Forest, Brendan Gant got hit with a penalty, very similar to the guy running out of bounds and extended that drive. The difference was like, it seemed like Lundy was trying to kind of let up. It just, I, you know, guys, I don't know. It just, that's a penalty by the letter of the law. You hope that it's called on you if Jordan Travis were running out of bounds in a similar fashion that it would be called. Yeah. But the, the PI call was bull crap. Um, yeah. The Knowles call is awful. It's yeah. horrible. It's- that's inexcusable. And, and, you know, it unfortunately probably probably cost you pretty dearly there. I, mean, I don't know if you had a chance still to stop him, but that's a toughie. You're a road underdog. You've played hard. Offense isn't helping you. Defense is tired. You're on drive number 13 of the it. game. You could feel the momentum that uh, yep. sliding away. So, so what, it is what, what FSU it is. can do about that is they can take that video. They can cut it up. They can send it to the office, ask for further explanation, or essentially ask, did you get this wrong? But no official in the history of humankind has really admitted to getting something wrong unless they got suspended for it. So, and you're not getting suspended for that one. So yeah, it is. What and, it is. and the problem with wrong, officiating you... is that the people that manage officials are officials. So they protect their own. All right. Byer Sinone. Uh-oh. Ooh. The call against Knowles was more egregious than the call against Freddie Stevenson. Ooh. 
uh, to free buy. up Dalvin Cook. Buy, buy, because Freddy's was boom, boom. Um, no, I'm, I'm going to sell that one. I, I, I was fit to be tied on the uh, the Freddie Stevenson one. Like I was, I, I would have fought somebody right then and there. Just I probably would have lost, but I would have thrown down anyways. And I think Knowles, Knowles well, ticked I just... me off because it was a bad call, but it's a bang bang play nonetheless. Freddie is. You don't know your damn job, and you did it poorly, and yeah, you just you took this one away. I, yeah, for once like, in my life, I sided yeah. with Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> uh, hey, mean, hey, Byers Sinone, if they don't call that penalty, Jimbo Fisher's still in Tallahassee. FSU beats Clemson. Clemson doesn't become the monster it is. Less pressure on old Jimbo. That changed everything, guys. So then I think the, the Freddie Stevenson call was more egregious. We're buying. It was more significant. For the course of FSU history, for sure, there there are moments. It was I'll like a what if way. episode. There, ooh, there are freeze frames where it looks like Freddie starts from behind, but ultimately Freddie gets his head in front of the guy, and it shouldn't have been a penalty. But there's freeze and frame it was moments right there in the open, like yeah, he, like but he had a great angle to see it. Anyway, all right. but but there there is there's pictures of Kevin Knowles that Chris had, like Chris put up or sent to me, where there's just there was it, there was never a penalty. It never looked like it just. Click on the photo gallery there. And there. It was bullshit. Got, I'm saying it now. You got one of Noel's getting called for it. You got one of Norvell reacting to it in there. Coffee. All right. I think that's it. Uh, are we done with the Andrew Parchment experiment after? God, I hope so. Weekend? That last play, he just gave up on it. My Lord. Like, you can't do that. Like, nah, it's, just be done with it. Move on. Play somebody fine. else. Play Darian Williamson. Let let Snow just rip off his shirt. Watch Darian Williamson play. Be so happy about I'm it. New tank top, guys. More new tank top. Now. Three and I don't, I don't need to see Andrew Parchment anymore. That one was a wasted scholarship in the transfer portal. It's not worth a damn. He, nah, five. You know what I I didn't like more than I mean the play. No, I don't want to say more than the play itself. Uh, going into it after the game, Parchment was kind of just sitting by himself, head down, just like you're you're twenty something years old. You're brought in to not just in, inject juice and energy into the offense but then to also be someone who's mature and yeah. a veteran and i just we're not seeing that and none of the above that's disappointing and you know uh, j-rod commented earlier that fsu needs more playmakers at wide receiver who can get open you know parchment was supposed to be that fsu missed there they don't get uh destin hill pays on in this year and you know it it is what yeah, it is the rest is history all right um, i forgot we do want to talk a little bit of recruiting um florida state uh, there's been one major development. They offered a new linebacker, Aiden Vaughn. Um, Aiden Vaughn also announced yesterday that he's decommitting from Air Force. He's a six foot four, two hundred twenty pound linebacker from Michigan, Michigan, Wald Lake, Michigan, to be precise. Um, he committed a uh, Air Force early on, but he has gotten a ton of new offers, including Florida State. Chris, you caught up with him. What did he have to tell you last week right after the offer came in? When he got the offer from FSU, he told me he was going to work on scheduling a visit to FSU. But here's the thing is he keeps adding a lot of offers, especially a lot of Big Ten offers. Also, the schools like Michigan, Michigan State are kicking the tires on him right there. I think he's going to accumulate so many offers and he wants to sign in the early period that he's going to kind of have such a tight window that I don't know if he's going to be able to visit everywhere he wants to see. I think it's more likely he visits somewhere closer to home, Big Ten-ish, and he makes it down to the Sunshine State. But we'll see. I'm going to keep up with him. I told him if he locks one in, please let me know. Talented kid. Love his film. His film's really, really good. Um, and he's blown up a great deal since that film got out there. So he said he wants to get down south. I agree mm -hmm. with you. I think um, the trip to the south probably won't make it. 
because he told you he he plans on visiting Wisconsin, Louisville, West Virginia, and Syracuse soon. And that was and he's added more since that. And he's at right, and he's had more since. Um, there's only seven weeks remaining between, yeah. before the early signing period. So to get all these visits in, I doubt it's going to happen. Like you said, he has options closer to home. He's from Michigan. Michigan. Um, if this was if this was a kid FSU saw in the spring and maybe made it down with his family during the summer, there's something we can get more excited about. But I think um, Demario Tolan, Wesley Besaint, Daniel Martin, the usual suspects that we talk at linebacker are the guys right now that are on the board. Um, we'll keep an eye on Vaughn. We'll see what happens. And if he gets a visit set up with Florida State, we'll certainly let you know. Do you guys feel like these schools that are trying to to poach a kid from an academy school should feel bad? It's an academy school. I'd Hell, take – Show some damn respect. Any, any kid who's talented who wants to go to an academy school, I'd take because usually it shows they have some level of discipline built into their body. It's usually a good sign. You know, Army uh, – I think this is still the case. I read a Stephen Godfrey piece a few years ago. Army doesn't – release like who's committed or ask kids to not yeah they don't really it's like a signing class usually they don't want kids they don't want it's a very specific pool that they can pick from they don't want teams coming and poaching because they know for to chris's point i think part of it is that that there's a level of uh character and and whatnot that goes into to being committed to army i've had a coach um this was 10 11 years ago now but he coached at west point at one point and um he had a kid that he was recruiting. I think he did commit to air force and he told me like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to recruit him anymore. Just out of respect for, you know, he made that decision. I want him, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it is a little bit different, but for the most part, we've seen this happen before. Um, I want to talk about some visits elsewhere. One of the main ones that Florida state fans had their eye on was Marvin Jones jr. He was expected to be in Columbus for an official visit to Ohio state this weekend. I've confirmed that that did not happen. Um, I exchanged some texts with somebody at Ohio State earlier this morning and was told that the flight got canceled. He did not make it in. Um, I asked if there's a reschedule on deck, and I'm told that um, they conversed with the mother and was told that, yes, they are going to reschedule, but right now nothing is set. So that's a little interesting development, even though it was just due to a flight cancellation. But Ohio State, Oklahoma, Florida State, um, I think those are the main contenders right now for Marvin Jones Jr. Alabama. He's supposed, you know. yeah, he's supposed to be at Alabama this coming right. weekend. That's where he's scheduled to see. It's supposed to be Alabama this weekend, FSU next weekend, the thirteenth, and then I believe it's Clemson unofficial is on the books for twentieth, if I recall correctly. Will be interesting That's to a see wild what word. transpires after FSU. Oklahoma yeah. feels good there. At least our Oklahoma site definitely indicates our that. Oklahoma site is very optimistic. Um, I haven't, you know been in a lot of FSU OU recruiting battles to know how our Oklahoma coverage is like, does it tend to, to lean optimistic or, or, or how kind of they report, but boy, are they optimistic that they are going to land um, Marvin Jones jr. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with this Ohio state visit, because for a long time, Ohio state was maybe considered the team to beat. And it'd be really kind of interesting if he does not take an official visit to Ohio state and that, kind of fizzles out um that would be a, a great development for florida state uh chris what other visits elsewhere were you tracking this weekend uh nigel kelly had indicated he was going to oregon for his birthday i don't know for a fact that he definitely made that trip but i know he had mentioned he was going to and he mentioned it as recently as like 10 days before you're supposed to take it 
Then, for the most part, the rest of them were to Auburn. Um, an official visit to Auburn for Omar Graham, which was a little bit surprising to some people. Auburn had been very involved with him before his commitment to FSU. From what I understand, he did not do any interviews surrounding the visit to Auburn. So uh, that sort of is a, is what it is. I'm not super concerned about Omar Graham. He's been a very solid commitment. Sedone's probably ultra worried up there. Hey, buddy. No, it was just it was just one visit. I... So when when Omar Graham decided to make his commitment he had an official visit to Auburn on the books, but decided mm-hmm. just not to take it because he moved his, his commitment date up and that visit kind of never happened, but they were always the other team in the recruitment. Um, I take the official visit as him utilizing what is given to him as a recruit and him just going to take it. Uh, if he took an unofficial visit to Auburn and him and his family went there on their own dime, it'd probably raise my eyebrows a little bit more, but like you, Chris, I think Omar Graham's solid, um, and I expect him to sign with Florida State. Will he be at, been, Will he be at Miami in two weekends? I presume so, uh, unless something with his high school conflicts with that. But he's been very pro FSU, very much a recruiter for FSU. Mm-hmm. You know, he's close friends with a few guys that are committed to FSU or targets for FSU too, and he talks them up. And Tavius Woody was expected back at Auburn. He was there Friday night because he watched IMG play at Auburn Friday night. Um, and he was supporting A.J. Duffy wearing an FSU jacket. That's a positive sign. But, again, he should back up to Auburn. That's three or four times now in the season. Um, I talked to Keith. He didn't know for sure that Woody had made it in, but he was expected. He told somebody Friday evening at the high school game that he intended to be at Auburn the next day. So I wholeheartedly believe he showed up since it's only about, what, 30, 40 minutes from his house, I think. Um, and then uh, Marquise Gilbert, the safety that FSU recently offered from the junior college ranks, he took an official to Auburn. I haven't seen a follow-up interview for his departure yet, but Auburn was a serious contender there. FSU's working to schedule an official, but doesn't yet have one locked in. I believe Auburn was second official for him. He had previously been to Colorado. Uh, he's supposed to go to Tennessee here in two weeks, the weekend of the FSU-Miami game. I'm interested to see if FSU tries to get him to punt on that visit and come to FSU instead for that weekend. Byers to known FSU signs more than two junior college players this cycle. I think they go heavier I, on it this year is why I ask. I think I might buy that. I, I think they're going to look a good bit in that direction here in the next month and see if they can find a few things. And I think there's a few spots where they need somebody of that sort of age group, that sort of experience, maybe especially a bounce back kind of guy mm-hmm. who for whatever reason – you know, it's not concerning that he's a bounce back kind of guy. Yeah, I think definitely if they can find more than like, I think they're definitely open to signing as many Juco prospects as they can. Um, we'll just see how fruitful Juco will be. Um, yeah. We know of a few that they're on mostly DBs, mostly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but I, I could see them looking at more tight ends at the Juco. Well, no, I'm kidding. Linebacker. Um, no, I could see them looking at I Juco see, tight ends. I could see wide receivers. I could see um, linebackers. Running, back. R- running backs is a, is a hell of a thing, right? Because they, they could probably use, if Corbin, say, were to go pro, like someone else in that room. But, like, the top running backs statistically. I think you can find a transfer junior, back. Do you know who the two – oh, that's true in the portal. But do you know who the top two rushers yeah. at least a week or two ago were, the Josh? Damian Webb and Anthony Grant. Yeah. The Anthony Grant one is the su- surprise. Um, yeah. Well, Damian Webb, I think, has, uh, you know – some off field things and that he needs to take care of and that are getting in the way of his game. But Anthony Grant, I mean, 
he didn't even look like a football player the last time we saw him. No, I felt like he was kind of eating himself out of, you know, playing so it's football. Great. I mean, yeah. hey, shout out to him getting himself back in shape. Going the Juco route is not easy. Nobody's there to to, to make you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if he can turn it around in Juco, I, I believe that, you know, he'll have a career in front of him somewhere, which yeah. is. Ta- talent wasn't Surprising. the issue for him. The previous staff loved him. Um, and then, you know, grades and, and weight ended up being concerns for him. They loved him for like a minute. <laughs> I had someone tell me that he was better than Cam Akers. That's all I'm saying. No, now, I got the same text. No, we could, we could, we could. No, never mind. Let's not. Let's it was not. brief though. They didn't love him forever, Brendan. These but anyway. coaches ain't loyal. All right, let's get out of here. But before we do, um, overview, Brendan. Today's November first. We have what five weeks left of the season. Four, 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 four games, games left. Yep. Four, one, two, two, two at home, two away in that what's order. The, what's the big picture here? All uh, right, big picture. Hey, real quick, if I can address people talking about Mackenzie Milton in the chat uh, on our YouTube channel, subscribe to YouTube. Uh, pe- we talked about this last week, whether he has one season more to play or this is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people on Mackenzie Milton's campus, Josh has kind of said, and I've reported previously, believe he would have one more if he wanted it. I think people at FSU talking to that don't think he has one more. I think it all depends on kind of how waivers are applied and if there is a waiver and, and all that stuff. So yeah. uh, a premature I, to I, say there's a definitive. A little, uh, I got a little more to say. Oh, oh, go on. Go on. I, Eligibility I, I is in, a strange beast these days. Especially post-2020. Yep. Go ahead, John. I checked in, and I do think that there was a time where he was weighing his options in terms of another year. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I don't think so. Um, I think that this is most likely going to be his final year. And again, um, I think that if Florida State needed Mackenzie Milton in a situation where or they needed a quarterback to step in for Jordan Travis in a close game where they needed a win, I I still think it would be Mackenzie Milton. Um, I do not think we'll see Mackenzie Milton in any mop-up duty or blowout duty. Yeah. Boy, I would love to see some blowout duty, positive blowout duty, not negative blowout duty. All right. (laughs) All over the show. Um, Oh, my God. What? So, Brendan. Phrasing, Chris. You are the phrasing (laughs) king. Um, But Chris was saying not ironically at all. (laughs) What do we need to see from this team over the next four weeks? To to, to call it a... Three wins would be fantastic, Joshua. Uh, I, okay, a few things Hell I wanted to say. Yeah, but this is moral victory you the last couple of years. So. No, but the moral victories, I think we're you know we're beyond moral victories. We are in looking at. Uh, oh, I just dropped a hard we for FSU. It's happening, guys. I got a drink out of my UCF championship mug to bring me back to focus. We're on the bench. You can say we. <laughs> so it's NC State at home. They're six and two. Easily could be seven and one if they caught footballs against Miami. They lost in Mississippi State by two touchdowns. I and that was that, game. that was kind of I, a screwy game the where they there. gave up they had a, gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown early on in the game, and they just kind of got away from them early. It's a it's a very good complete team. And then Miami comes to town, and three weeks ago I thought FSU would pound Miami. The last two weeks I don't know, and that's because of both teams. Tyler Van Dyke's Miami's got been, an arm. Yeah, the Van Dyke thing's been a weird resurgence. Um, He's then they go to BC, who's completely you know falling off the rails. They've lost four in a row. They can't score offensively. They've been dreadful. After a great first month, despite a quarterback injury, it's kind of gone the wrong way for them. And then you wrap up with Florida, who's a 500 football team right now in two games under 500 in their conference. Just got their skull crushed by Georgia, um, but still has plenty of talent and is very capable offensively. Go ahead, Samir. Yeah. 
Oh, so so there is. Sorry, I was getting alerts that there may be an ABC vault coming up, but I haven't seen it yet. So we're, my my focus is back on the podcast. <laughs> so FSU, four games left, as Chris documented. They're not going to be favored in any of these games. Uh, they opened as a two-point underdog at home to NC State. Uh, maybe, depending on, I guess, how the next week, couple weeks go, maybe they'd be favored on the road against Boston College. As of right now, uh, the ESPN FPI has them as like a 40-something percent chance of winning that game. So an underdog. Underdog. <sighs> It's really unfortunate. I don't know if I've said this, that FSU lost to Jacksonville State because before the season we were saying five or six wins. Six wins would be great. Uh, I think right now if they had four wins, uh, going 500 here would be reasonable. Going three and one seems unlikely. Big picture, though, uh, yeah, I think it's unlikely FSU is going to get to six at this point. It would have been great if you could have stolen it against Clemson. I think that would have shifted things remarkably well. And FSU had a chance against Clemson. Again, two out of three of us here predicted FSU to beat Clemson. They had a chance. They just weren't able to hit a couple explosives, and, and that changes the outcome of, of that game. And that was really what FSU needed was to hit more than just one explosive. They only really hit one. A big picture, though, Josh ended the instant podcast with the Bobby Bowden ideology of building a program. First, you lose by a lot. That was year one slash year zero for Norvell. They lost by a lot, quite a lot. Year two is lose by a little. FSU has lost by a little. The only game they really haven't been competitive in is Wake Forest. And that's a game where you had a ton of turnovers and, you know, that happens. Uh, all the other games they've had a chance at. Now, some of that, you know, you could say like Louisville took its foot off the gas a little bit offensively in the second half, allowed FSU to come back. Uh, Notre Dame did something similarly to its game plan on, on defense. We were allowed you to run the ball. But regardless, FSU had chances to win uh, in almost every single game this season. I won't bring up the Jacksonville State game again. I'll never do it again. Even though I just did it again. This team is getting better. It's getting more competitive. The key is, as we've talked about several times on this podcast already, is you have to get better. You have to get more talent infused into this thing. And this, this coaching staff can coach. I don't know if it's an elite coaching staff. It's a good one. It's a competent one. There's some flaws. There's things they can do better. But the fans who are being so myopic and focusing on the minutia of, ah, we should have run this play. Ah, we should have substituted this guy in personnel. Think about how far that is from two years ago when FSU couldn't get 11 guys on the field to line they, up in the right direction when they couldn't get guys to line up in the right direction, when you were struggling to get recruits on campus, there is a level of competency here that is happening. The key is to turn that into enough wins and get enough firepower on the recruiting trail where you can start elevating your upside and your personnel and your talent. And I think that's where this final month of this season is key. You have to show that you continue to do that, that you bounce back from yeah. this Clemson loss, you respond. And I'll throw that to you guys, but that's where recruiting it, putting enough together here in this final stretch to where you can keep this class intact is essential. I think for Mike Norvell turning this thing around, I think that's the key coming up. Yeah. We've embraced the fact that this isn't going to be a quick turnaround. So we also have to embrace the fact that we're not going to be here very much longer either. Meaning we're not going to be in this position where there's a talent because this team is getting better because they are recruiting better. Um, you're going to see a, a increase. Now they're going to have a lot of gaps to fill in incoming transfers because they are losing a bunch. Um, that's a double-edged sword. Mike Norvell brought in some great players that are going to go pro like Jermaine Johnson and maybe a few others. And he's going to have to go out again and, and continue to do that and bring in great guys, but also through the recruiting ranks. I mean, then you have them for more years. So it, you kind of bring some stability to the class. We will be talking about recruiting on Knowles 24-7 this week. 
I'm going to catch up with a lot of the recruited guys and just see where or committed guys and see where they stand with their commitments and signing plans and all that. Uh, Chris, you got anything you want to say before we get out of here? No, I'm, I think the most important thing for FSU over the final month beyond the idea of winning games is establish some kind of momentum and don't let it kind of halt again. I felt like the JSU loss mo- momentum halted and obviously goodwill went out the window. I think it's important over this final month, win, lose, or draw, that FSU establish some kind of momentum for when they hit those offseason months for the fan base, for the team itself, for recruiting, for all those purposes. All right. Thank you, guys. And thank you for listening. We will be back on.